Hello and welcome to episode three. I'm back and this is the podcast Control Alt Delete, the podcast with the same name as my book, which is out in July with Ebri at Penguin Random House. So I'm really excited about today's episode. The guest is someone that I've loved for so long. So today I have Ashley C. Ford and I'm so excited for you to listen to this one. You will probably recognise Ashley's voice if you listened to Lena Dunham's podcast, Women of the Hour. It's an amazing episode, so go and check it out. Um, So yes, Ashley is wonderful. She is one of my favourite people to follow on Twitter. She's a writer, an editor, she's a speaker. She's also a professor at the New School in New York, which is amazing. She's also writing a memoir, which I cannot wait to read. Keep your eye out for that one. And she's co-editing an anthology called Not That Bad, Dispatches from Rape Culture with Roxanne Gay, who is the author of Bad Feminist and an all-round very inspirational person. So what a team co-editing that book. So I hope you enjoy listening to this episode and thanks again for subscribing. Here it is. Hi! Hi! It is really nice. I've How been, are you? I'm really good. I've been spending all day being really excited about talking to you. Really? Yeah. Well, it's 3 p.m. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. I'm like, really? Because I woke up like an hour and a half ago. <laughs> so is it 10, 10 a.m. there? Yes. Do you work from home now? I do. Yeah. I How, do. How is that? I, I really like being in control of my own schedule. I like I like knowing that if I need to make a last minute adjustment, I don't have to get it approved or ask any or ask anybody. Um, But I found that thing about working from home for me is that I'm already naturally very introverted and it's hard to get me to go out anyway. And if I don't have if I'm not like not already out because I'm coming home from work or something like that, there's a good chance I just won't go out at all. And I'll spend all my time in the apartment, even time, you know, it's much easier to become a workaholic when you work from home, especially if you love the work you do, because there's no clear delineation between work time and home time and relax time. Also, my boyfriend is an extrovert. So that gets tricky when we're, or it did in the beginning when Mm -hmm. I was working from home. Because he felt like, well, Ashley's home. Yeah, that's so funny. That's so interesting. I never thought of it like that because I have the same sort of, like when I used to get home from work, I'd have like a massive greeting of like, yay, let's hang out. And I kind of need to like go back into myself because I just spent the whole day having to talk to people and, you know, all that little energy that you take up by like small talk. And I felt really inspired by you when you decided to do your own thing. And I wondered maybe for people who are listening who don't know when to take the jump, um, how did you make that decision? Because I think I sat on the decision for a long time. Well, I mean, there are always different kinds of jumps. You know what I mean? Like some people make the jump from full-time freelancing to making the jump back into yeah. the working world for to do like a really interesting thing or a really interesting project or something like that, you know? And I think for me, I just realized that there was no... As much as I loved working at BuzzFeed and as much as I loved the people there, I realized that the benefits for me were not outweighing the costs and they weren't balanced with the costs of working there. Um, 
it's a great place. You know what I mean? Like, I'll never speak against it. Like, it's a really, really great place to work, you know? But my goals for what I wanted for my life did not fit with me staying at BuzzFeed any longer. Yeah. So I left, and I did a lot of work over the past year. I left a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, wow. It's been that long, yeah. It's been that long. A lot happened. I've, a lot has happened in the past year. Lots of writing, lots of figuring out how to manage my own schedule, manage, you know, my work life and, you know, finding that balance. And it's strange because now I'm at a point where I'm like, I could do a job job again. Like, I could see what that's like again. And I could go in in a different capacity and knowing myself a lot more and, you know, managing my expectations a little more about what it means to work for a corporation or a business and have a boss and, you know, things like that. Like, I think I needed the experience of working at BuzzFeed and I also needed the experience of working for myself and knowing that I could do that um, and knowing I could always go back to that if I needed to or wanted to. Yeah, and that's the nice thing about um, not having to do one thing with your life because I always felt so boxed in. But actually, I feel the same. Like, I... I might in a year or so want to go and do something completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's something about that freedom of, I don't even have to write for one platform. I don't have to yep. even be in one medium. You write across so many different mediums and you, you've written screenplays and you're writing a memoir. And it's just, it's so exciting to have lots of different outlets for your work, isn't it? It absolutely is. And I think for me, the way I am as a creative person, it's necessary. Um, I recently read, I think I know you read it too, um, Big Magic Oh yeah. by yeah. Elizabeth Gilbert. And you know that thing she talks about of not following your passion, but following your curiosity? Mm, yeah. That, I mean, a lot of what other people see as success <laughs> for me was me seeing something and going, that looks interesting. I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to try, you know, or, you know, and not without intention. Like I always had intention, but my intentions were never like, oh, this is going to be a great success. And I'm just going to, it was like, no, this sounds like fun. And I want to give it a shot. I actually, do you know the um, fashionista, um, I think, octogenarian? I think she's in her 80s, but she oh. might be in her 90s. Um, Iris Atful. Oh, yes. I love her. I want to wear big glasses like her. I like, know. They're, they're gorgeous. Yeah. I love that she uh, has like a personal brand thing going on without even knowing. She does. Yeah. She does. And I just watched this documentary about her on mm. Netflix. And in the documentary, like, so many of the things that people count as like her biggest successes and her biggest wins when they ask her like what made you want to do that and stuff like that she consistently says the same thing it sounded like fun (laughs) (laughs) love it yeah so I think a lot of what I do of it sounded like fun it takes the pressure off it as well doesn't it in a way it does like I kind of feel I feel guilty sometimes when when I say when people ask me about like a process of writing something like the book for example I had so much fun and I think sometimes I feel like I should say that everything is so hard and it was it was it was like a struggle to do it every day but the actual doing of it wasn't like it didn't upset me but yeah it is fun I think fun is underrated isn't it it absolutely is and like the the you know tortured artist trope is 
old hat. Mm. <laughs> like we don't have to be tortured anymore, no. and we don't we don't have to suffer through our art. Like a lot of people actually just really enjoy it, and that doesn't make it less serious, and that doesn't make it you know less worthy of attention and awards or readership or mm. anything. You know, it doesn't make it less worthy because you didn't slog through it. Yeah, sometimes. We, we have the great privilege of enjoying what we do. That's not something to be ashamed of. That's something to celebrate. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, like, this conversation about millennials at work at the moment as well, because I feel like I'm constantly sticking up for people who just want to be happy and they know something better's out there and they just don't know what it is. And I, I try and explain it in the way that I, I don't think we want to just settle anymore for, like, a job which looks good on paper. It's kind of not enough. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that's quite interesting that maybe our generation in particular just have to be curious and passionate? Yeah, I think it's, I I think millennials, people our age, it's not that we are, you know, frivolous. It's that we are very realistic. And by being very realistic, what we realize is that money and, and things can only get us so far and they won't protect us. Like we no longer believe that those things will protect us or that we can sustain them throughout our entire lives. So what do you do when you realize that these things won't protect you and they won't save you at the end of the day and you could still lose your house, you could still lose your car and you could still end up with student loans so crippling that you can never get any of those things anyway you decide that I'm going to do what makes me happy right now and what gives me a feeling of some sort of meaning. Mm-hmm. Meaning. Because, I mean, as soon as our parents, I feel like it, like after they lost the houses, after they lost the cars and stuff like that, even as the economy bounces back, you don't see the parents going back to what they had before for the most part. Mm-hmm. You see them thinking, like parents went back to school Parents, like, did all kinds of things. They decided to go into a completely different industry, something that was closer to their heart because it was like, well, now I'm not trying to get the big paycheck because the big paycheck doesn't exist where I am. Now I'm just trying to get a job. So I might as well get the job I like. Mm. So I think we're a generation who really just doesn't put stock in the having of things the way the generation before us did and it's not that we're not still capitalistic and materialistic because we are you know (laughs) things are things are still fun it's just like we we don't see the promise anymore in being at a job at 10 for 10 years that doesn't pay you considerably well Mm -hmm. like considerably well and also you don't like going to yeah I mean it's that is so spot on with everything I feel, well, I feel experiences over money is so clear at the moment. And I don't think it's just because everyone wants to Instagram it. I don't know if people kind of put it onto social media and that, you know, people want more experiences so they can sort of show off more. But I genuinely think that it's like about the investment. Like I want to invest, I don't want to invest in a handbag. I want to invest in like my mental health. Yes. Or I want to invest in a memory. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a quality of life thing. We just demand a better quality of life. 
And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's an evolution. <laughs> totally. And that's okay. <laughs> I love it kind of leads on to um there's a really nice quote in an interview that you did about permission and about how you don't need to ask for permission. I think that's in Liz Gilbert's book as as well about the principal's mm-hmm. office. Do you I feel like you're a person that gives yourself permission to do things. Do you um do you get that from anyone just saying, Can I can I come? Can I be invited? Can I do that thing? Right. Do you think you're good at that now? I'm better at that now. Um, I would say that I still get really nervous in certain situations that I because I never thought I would be in them and I don't feel prepared for them. And my goal always is to just rise to the occasion and you know allow myself to be part of any room or any you know situation that I've made it into. What's tricky, at least for me, is, you know, with the permission thing, Mm -hmm. is that um, what we tend to do, and what I tend to do, and what I've noticed a lot of my friends and people I know tend to do, is we say no to ourselves before someone else says no. Mm -hmm. As if the no coming from us is the easier no to deal with than if it came from them. Mm-hmm. Which isn't true. Like, no's have never killed anybody ever in the history of the world. Like, no one's ever died because they wanted something and the other person said no. Unless it was, like, I don't know, penicillin. But still, it's, you know, it's... it's is this is thing. it defense, do you think? It's a defense. It's a protective thing. Like, the permission thing isn't really about wanting someone else's permission. Even if you do want it, like... The problem to begin with is the fact that you have to say yes to yourself. Like you just have to say, yes, I can do this or yes, you know, I belong in this room or yes, I belong among these people. And that's the really, that's the hardest yes to get is to just allow yourself to do things, that permission. And I'm not always great at it. Like I still, I I have to check myself all the time. Because somebody will come to me with something that I really want, basically on a silver platter, you know, and it's perfect for my life at that moment, and it's perfect for what I want out of my life. And for some reason, I just keep telling myself, there's something wrong here. It shouldn't be this easy. I don't know if I'm even qualified. I don't know if I'm really ready for that. You know, and ultimately, who gives a shit? If somebody's offering it to me and it's something that I want and it's right for me, you know, at that time to want it, like, I should just take it. I should just say, okay, let's give it a shot, you know? And I don't always, but I'm working on it. Yeah, no, I'm the, I'm the same. I always think I'm going to say yes t- before you say that you made a mistake. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to, I'm just going to go with it. Yeah. But it's the same with um I feel like it's it's a it's like a secret that you can just ask for stuff. It is a secret. Me me at the moment I feel like I can ask for stuff. I, I feel like now I've um got to a position where I'm better at it, but I feel like you like Twitter is perfect for that. You can just sort yes. of tap someone on the shoulder and say I'm going to send you my thing. Yeah. Hey, is it okay if I send you this? Hey, mm. blah, 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 you know what I mean? Like yeah. 
And people usually don't mind, especially if there's already some sort of like an established relationship there, then they really don't mind. And, and if you're polite about it with somebody who you don't know well, then they don't really mind either. Like it's, you know, at, it's so funny because when I was younger, my friends um, used to, I used to tell my friends, you know, if you need a dollar, you can get a dollar. And they would be like, you can't just get a dollar. Like, you know what I mean? Like, unless you have a dollar on you, like you just can't get a dollar. And I was like, I promise you, I could get a dollar every day this week. And they're like, no, you couldn't. Like, you know, I was like, okay. And every day I would just go up to a different person and be like, hey, do you have a dollar? And they would give me a dollar. They'd be like, yeah, all right, you know, and hand me a dollar. Every day for a week. I had seven fucking dollars at the end of the week. And it was because I had just asked for dollars. Mm. And the same thing has been true, to be perfectly honest, for most of my life. For most of my life, the biggest difference between me getting something and somebody beside me not getting it was that I asked for it first. Do that you do you translate that into some of your working life now of um, kind of asking for more financially? Yes, absolutely. It's hard. I mean, it's First of all, women in, in America, and I don't know how it goes in England, but in America for sure, um, women are often punished for asking for more, um, whether that be psychologically or, you know, by having a job offer rescinded and all kinds of things. But it doesn't actually help anything and it doesn't push the movement forward and it doesn't challenge the status quo if we don't ask for more Mm. so i keep asking for more and the women i know keep asking for more no matter what the consequences are because eventually like they're going to realize that women across the board are going to ask for more they are at least going to ask for what they deserve Mm. you know and we're either going to have to start paying them what they deserve or we're going to lose 51% of the workforce. It's, cra- it's crazy because, um, for example, I've launched a panel event in, in London and it, it was at Twitter and it was really, really popular and it went really well. But we paid our panellists, like, you know, we paid them as much as we thought that they would want to be paid and how much we'd want to be paid. Like, we paid ourselves the same amount. And I just felt like the relationship was stronger. They knew that we respected them and we respected yep. ourselves for being able to pay them. And it just didn't even cross my mind that I'd ever expect someone to take time out of their day and do something for me for something that's not going to benefit them financially, even though it was really fun. Like, it was it was a fun event, but it was still work. And that's what annoys me sometimes is that if it's a fun job, people expect you to do it for next to nothing. Absolutely they do. And they're wrong because this is still a labor and it is still a service and art has value you know, and what we do is not, you know, I I mean, I can't, when I'm doing this, here's how I feel about it. When I say yes to something, I'm saying no to something else. Every time I say yes to something, I'm saying no to something else. That's how my life works. You know, there's no such thing as me not having enough to do. Yeah. No, like I'm too busy as it is, but there's no such thing as me like, 
not having things to do. When I say yes to something, I say no to something else. So everything is a decision. Mm -hmm. Everything is weighed. Everything is Every your time. Every single is weighed. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. when it comes to my time. Like, doing this, easy decision, because it's you. And so I'm like, oh, no, it's Emma. So, yes, that is a yes. You know, like, whatever else I had to do this morning can wait. But when it's someone who I don't have any kind of a relationship with, for mm -hmm. the most part, and especially when they're asking for something that is either emotionally or artistically laborious, mm -hmm. it's like, you don't have to pay me a million dollars. I don't have, like you know, a going rate of $100 an hour or something crazy. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like the token of respect for your time. Like no matter how much it is, it's a token of respect for the person's time, for expertise, for knowledge, you know, whatever mm -hmm. it is. And I agree with you. Like for some reason, artists, especially women artists, it's so hard to take ourselves mm -hmm. seriously enough to ask for more, even though we take what we do seriously. You know, we just don't expect anybody else to. Definitely. Actually, that leads me on to a question um, that I'm really keen to know how you handle, because I struggle with it sometimes, is I, you know, there's not enough hours in the day as it is. Yet, yeah. yet um, one thing I really want to do and make sure I'm always doing is is helping other people get mm -hmm. into the industry or at least share what I know. Because I don't want to just keep it all in. I want to help, like, someone who was me five years ago. You could go and meet mm -hmm. someone for coffee and that's like an hour of your day that you're not earning. How do you manage that? Because I'm sure that you get a lot of people emailing you out of the blue or just wanting to see you or meet you or, or just ask you a question and... You know that that could get out of hand. So, uh, yeah. do you are you strict with yourself on on that? Or I've had to, and it's kind of heartbreaking <laughs> to have to, um, but it's necessary for me to be um, a productive creator. So, some of the things that I try to do is not meet people for meals, like only meet them for coffee. Um, or a drink or something like that, usually just coffee. Because um, if it's coffee, then it can be early. And I like to schedule things early in the day. And I do that specifically because I feel like the people who really want to talk to you and really want to have that conversation will meet you early. Um, and if they absolutely cannot meet early, then they will scramble to figure out something else and it's not necessarily about proving something to me. It's more about the time that, like, my time is limited. So I need a way to sort of, like, weed out people who are just curious. Because there's a difference between people who want to talk and they want help with specific things. And they, you know, they want some advice on specific things or whatever. And people who just kind of want to know what you look like in person. Like, that's, they're different things. Yeah. So I try to focus more on the former. Um, I also, you know, because I teach, I try to leave a lot of room for my students specifically. So that makes it even yeah. trickier because my students come first. Um, and then, you know, other people come second. Do you find um, as well, like, you have to limit yourself to just sort of reading and doing stuff online because I felt that the reason I wanted to write my book and it might be similar for you is that I just kind of felt like I needed to just remove myself from bits and bits here and there and actually work on something like longer form 
It did, yeah. What was? I mean, there's a reason why books are so magical, I guess. Mm-hmm. What was the purpose behind? Have you always wanted to do it? Well, I've wanted to write the book for many, many years. And I've worked on it in pieces here and there. And I got done with a really, really exceedingly shitty first draft and scrapped like two thirds of it and started over. And, you know, it's something I've been working on for such a long time. Like I sometimes forget that it's been a really long time that I've been working on this book. But I really wanted to work on the book because my initial motivation was the fact that when I was 14 years old a book like the book I'm writing would have changed my life Mm. I feel like everything that you put out there has a purpose Mm -hmm. a real solid you know I I mean when I first read that interview you did with The Guardian about how you write for who you were and that is just it's it's so central isn't it Mm -hmm. well you just wrote something similar um on the blog Mm. and I I do it for the reason that someone might read it and feel better. Yeah. I can't wait to read just, your book. It's not just better, it's less alone. Thank mm. you. I am, uh, I'm so nervous about putting it out into the world, but also excited about getting it out into the world eventually. And um, I hope it does well, but if not, I just hope it lands in the hands of the people who would benefit from reading it most. Like that would make me very, very happy. That would be success for me. I want to hear more about your um, the anthology you're working on. Okay. The anthology I'm working on with uh, my brilliant friend and mentor, Roxanne Gay, uh, is called Not That Bad, Dispatches from Rape Culture. And it's basically um, a collection of essays about what, ha- like, how rape culture affects women and men in different ways. Um, so it's just about, like, identity and experiences, to be mm-hmm. perfectly honest. It's about, you know, this is the way rape culture has infiltrated my life. At, like, it might be in scene, or it might be, you know, sort of like a really in-depth reflection of... Of, you know, a man makes about the decisions he's made in his life about who to have sex with or, you know, like how he treated women during sex and what felt appropriate and what didn't feel right. But he did anyway because it seemed normal. You know what I mean? Like, wow, that's so interesting because you don't hear much yeah. from the other point of view. You don't. You don't. But this is like, I think we've got, we so far have gotten some essays that are just really incisive examinations of how this pervasive, awful thing, you know, permeates our society and how it affects us all in different ways, but it does affect us all. Nobody gets away unscathed. Like it will touch you in some capacity in your life. We think of girls' bodies changing and how we know the world reacts to the sight of that. I was just wondering to round off, um, are you able to talk about three women who you might have discovered online? ideally, who maybe um, whoever's listening should go and check out. Yes. Um, The three women, probably like the three women who I met online, who I dig the most, not even dig the most, but just like have had the most impact on like my writing and my like career and things like that are um, Roxane Gay, who was the first person 
who I met online and began like a friendship with offline. Um, and Roxane Gay is obviously the author of Bad Feminist and, and Untamed State, and she's amazing. Um, then Lena Dunham, who was the most unlikely situation, um, because I didn't watch her show. <laughs> and I was very unfamiliar with a lot of her work when she um, tweeted me to say she really liked my writing. And then we started DMing each other, and then we started emailing each other. And then I came to New York to hang out with her for, like, a few days, and we just had the best time. And now, you know, she's still one of my best and closest friends. Um, also very inspired by her and just love her a whole lot. That, and um, then, the episode of um, uh, Women of the Hour, yes. how you guys met is literally like one of my favorite podcast episodes ever. I get that. You know, a lot of people talk to me about that podcast episode. And I don't at the time, I just thought it was like a fun thing we were, you know, doing together, having like that big conversation. And at the end of it, I'm still getting like that came out last October, I think. And I'm still getting emails from people who are just like you guys' friendship gives me like so much hope and it makes me so happy. And, you know, I have a best friend and, you know, I wish we had exchanged letters and, you know, like all sorts of cool things. And it's just. It's a good thing. It yeah. was very fun to do, and it made me very happy. It's still making me happy yeah. months and months later. Um, and then the third person would probably be um, Durga Chubos, who is a friend of mine who writes just beautifully about film and about she does profile she does all kinds of amazing things and I just can't get enough of her writing anytime she writes anything I'm all over it a hundred percent I mean it's long and it's like and she's an indulgent writer and it's completely different from the way I write and I love it like it, it makes me um want to be better as an artist and a writer. Lovely. I'm going to Google her straight away. Yeah. Um, oh, thank you, Ashley. That was really fun. Thank you, Emma. It's lovely talking to you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Please remember to subscribe on iTunes and listen on ACAST.com. I'm on Twitter at Girl Austin City. I'd love to hear your feedback. And thanks so much. See you next week. <laughs>